it's where the Lord had been leading me and pre- preparing for the next few Sundays and uh, what, the, what the Lord is speaking through their community group on Wednesday night and what Bryant shared this morning. And, you know, the, uh, the idea of, um, of risk is, is pretty significant in God's economy. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's the, we, we say it in different ways. We'll say nothing ventured, nothing gained, right? I mean, that's another way to talk about risk. And, you know, you've heard uh, teachers and professors say, hey, you're going to get as much out of this class as you put into it, right? So if, if you will risk it and put it out there, then you're going to get a lot more back. And then it's, that's just the way that works. Um, but we're going to look today, uh, I mean, in, so, in, 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 and I promise you this, uh, and anybody that's followed Jesus for more than about five minutes knows this, that if you really seriously follow Jesus, at some point, he's going to take you right up to the edge, and then he's going to say, now take the next step. And you're going to say, but, but I, I don't know. We mean the next step. There's nothing to step to. Right, take the next step. At some point, he will do that. And it's not because he's cruel, and it's not because there's some Machiavellian, you know, kind of uh, economy in God's world. No, it is so that we can learn to trust and that our faith has the opportunity to expand and grow. And we're going to, the Bible is chock full of stories about people that God called to do something that they did not have the ability or the means to do. I mean, it's full of stories like that. You can't read the Bible for 20 minutes without tripping over a story where God said, I'm going to have you do this. And the person said, I can't do that. And I said, yeah, right. I know that's the whole point to this. <laughs> you can't, and I can, and I'm going to do it through you. I just need you to show up. That's kind of how this works. And then and the flip side is your faith and the faith of a lot of other people is going to be strengthened. I mean, you can start in Genesis. You can go all the way through Revelation. It is full of stories of people that God continually asks to do more than what they are capable of pulling off and that, to do things that they don't have the resources to pull off. Um, and today we're going to spend time in a book in the Old Testament that maybe you haven't spent a lot of time there before, but it's one of my favorites. We're going to be in, in Nehemiah. Um, so Lord, we just ask that you would guide our time in your word. We thank you that, um, that you have, uh, have not hidden yourself from us and we don't have to try to search you out in, in tea leaves or stars or any of that. You have plainly revealed yourself to us through your word. Man, we thank you for that. So we just ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds as we uh, hear the word that you've made sure we had. Lord, we just want you to have your way with us this morning so that we could continue to become the people that you have called us to become. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're not familiar with Nehemiah's story, and maybe I like it just because I'm a builder and Nehemiah was a builder, so I get a, I get a lot out of this. But Nehemiah, uh, the, the, the timeline, just, it'll help to have just a brief snippet of history lesson here, so bear with me. Uh, we're going to be in Nehemiah for the next few weeks. We're going we're to kind of camp out here for a little bit. But um, Nehemiah is the, we'll read in a minute, he's the cupbearer to a king named Artaxerxes, and who is a, a Medo-Persian king. And they're the ones that kind of conquered the Babylonian empire. Um, 
all that significant for no other reason other than to say that, remember, it was the Babylonians that hauled the Israelites, that conquered the Israelites and hauled the southern kingdom off into exile, right? In the 70 years of exile in Babylon, that was, uh, that was the, the Babylonians. In come the Medo-Persians after that. The Babylonians lose power. The Persians are in power. And so here is Nehemiah. So this is, this is after um, uh, everybody has gone back. So we're 70 years in exile, and then there's going to be some that go back. And there are a couple of waves that went back, uh, but this is after all that. So there are already Jews who had been in exile that have gone back to Jerusalem, back to the land around Judea, the, the area where the Jews are from, and they're resettling that area. And it's been going on for quite some time, about 60, 70, maybe even 80 years at this point. So, uh, in fact, Nehemiah maybe would have been a, a small boy uh, when one of these waves of people went back to, out of exile, back to the promised land. So this is after all that, but it's that kind of context, okay? That's kind of where we are on, on the timeline. And uh, so Nehemiah is the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And that's, we don't appreciate that. We don't think cupbearer to the king. But, you know, the cupbearer to the king is, he's the guy that is, is uh, sipping and, and tasting everything that goes before the king so that in, in case some of his enemies poisoned it, they would know because Nehemiah dies first. <laughs> that's his job. <laughs> and in order to have that job, uh, in addition to having a pretty strong stomach, uh, you also have to be extremely trustworthy, right? Because what if Nehemiah just chose, you know what? I'm not going to eat that today. I don't like liver and onions. I'm not touching it. Uh, and somebody had spiked the liver and onions and, and pfft, there goes the king. So you have to be extremely trustworthy. Uh, you have to be, I mean, this is, this is somebody the king sees a lot, right? Every time the king says, I'm thirsty, in comes Nehemiah. Every time the king says, I think I'd like a little snack right now, in comes Nehemiah. That, that you're, you're with the king as much as any other advisor is with the king. So, and, and remember, he's, he's not a Persian. <laughs> he's, he's a Jew. And, and so this is a significant position. It is a position of great influence. And, a, you know, you can imagine, you know, Nehemiah's friends saying, hey, um, next, ne- next time you're next... Stand there next to the king. Would you mind asking the king about? So you, you, you know, you can see the kind of pressure that somebody might uh, get put under when you've got that kind of an audience on that regular of a basis with the king. So this is Nehemiah. This is who he is. And uh, but Nehemiah, um, he he has not forgotten his identity as a Jew. And so there, his 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 dad and his brother. Um, have, or his brother, I guess, mainly, has gone back to Jerusalem. Now he's coming back to Susa, the capital of the Persians. And so Nehemiah is asking him, hey, what's, what's going on? What did you see when you went back? How, how's everybody doing? And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, which is a fancy word for their backsliding. They're not really following God's laws. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so, so Nehemiah gets this report that the, the people aren't doing well. They're, the, the, they're not doing well spiritually. 
and and the city is in shambles. It's in disarray. Uh, they're living they're living small, right? They're they're getting by, but nobody's thriving. Everybody's just kind of getting by, and the, Jerusalem's a mess. It's a wreck. I mean, this is God's city, right? I mean, this is. This is where it's spoken. Now, they've re, they have rebuilt the temple at this point. Okay, the temple's been rebuilt. But the walls are in shambles, the gates are in shambles, and the people are not following the Lord. Everything's a mess. And so Nehemiah gets burdened by this. For days, he's weeping and he's praying before the Lord. Because he sees this problem of the folks not following the Lord connected to the fact that Jerusalem is also in disarray, physically, materially. And it's all part of one problem, as Nehemiah sees it. So he prays to Nehemiah, or to the Lord, Nehemiah prays to the Lord, and the Lord gives him this vision of, Nehemiah, you, I, I think I want you to go rebuild the wall. I want you to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Now think about it, you're the cupbearer to the king, of the, the, the political entity that controls that part of the world, that controls Jerusalem. Now, they've, they've let them go back and rebuild the temple, right? Because that's no big deal. I mean, if you want to have your little religious rites, okay, fine. We'll let you go rebuild the temple. That was done under a different king. But the notion of rebuilding the walls, well, that's a little different. Because what's a walled city... In this time of, of history, I mean, now we think it's kind of quaint, but at this time, a walled city meant you're, you're defensible, like you could potentially rebel against us. And so as long as there's no walls around the city, we can run right through it with our army at any point, and, and, and you're no threat. So yeah, go back, you know, rebuild your temple, do all that, no big deal. Rebuild the walls, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. If you rebuild the walls, now you can, you can stand on top of the walls and shoot at us, and we can't get in, and, and that's a problem. So here's Nehemiah, and he's got this burden, because he sees that the disarray physically in Jerusalem is connected to disarray spiritually with his people. And he weeps before the Lord, and the Lord says, I think you're my guy. Of course, Nehemiah's going, I'm... How am I the guy to rebuild walls? I'm a cupbearer. I'm not, a, I'm not an architect. I, I, don't, I don't know anything about all this. And it came about in the month of Nisan. has nothing to do with the car. It would roughly translate to about March. Uh, so right around this time of year. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been now I had not been sad in his presence, and, and, and he is now. He's been sad for some time. So the king said to me, "Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart." And then I was very much afraid, right? Because now the king's saying, "Something's something's different here, Nehemiah. Why don't you share with me? You know, I mean, we've got a close relationship. Tell me what's on your heart." Well, what's on his heart is. I want to go back and build some walls around my city. <laughs> That's not a real good topic to bring up with the king, <laughs> the king that controls that politically. So he's scared. Risk, right? His heart's racing. He's like, oh man, I, God, I don't know. <laughs> and here's the king, and I, I can't help it. I'm sad. I've got this burden on my heart, but whew, 
And you, you, the adrenaline starts rushing. His heart's racing. His face gets flushed. His palms get sweaty. Nehemiah, tell me, what's wrong? What's wrong? Get it out. <clears throat> then, <clears throat> then the king, let's see. So I said to the king, let the king live forever. Well, that's a good way to start the conversation. <laughs> Don't want you to mistake where my loyalties are here, Mr. King. I'm still with you. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Now remember, Nehemiah has never been there. It's just this this thing that, that is out there that is so significant and it's where his, his ancestors are buried and it's where the temple is and it's so but he's never been there never been there wasn't born there he was born over here in Susa then the king said to me what would you request <laughs> come on you're supposed to change the subject man that's not no, not what would I request, because I know what I'm supposed to request. I'm supposed to request that I get to take a leave of absence from work and go rebuild the walls and make it defensible again. But you were supposed to change the subject. So, mm, so here he is, right? I mean, now he's got no, no way to squirm out of this. You know, he tried to, hey, I, of course I'm sad. My, the, the city of my ancestors is in ruins. And the king's supposed to say, mm, yeah, sorry about your luck. Thanks for the wine. What's your request? What would you, what would you put before me? I mean, this is a king. This is not a president. This is a king. I mean, what he says is law, right? So I prayed to the God of heaven. <laughs> oh, dear God. That's probably what it sounded like. He said, oh, great heavenly father. He's like, yeah, dear God. What am I supposed to do? I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. There, I got it out. (sighs) Nailed it. (laughs) Regardless of what happens, I nailed it. Because I said it. It's out there. I can't take it back now. It's out there. 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 You may put me in prison. Don't know, but it's out there. I did it. (sighs) Nailed it. Then the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journeys be, and when will you return? What? Like, wait a minute. You're asking how long would I be gone? Like, you're kind of on to this? Well, okay. So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. All right, give me this much time. And I said to the king, if it pleased the king, so now, okay, well, you seem to be warm to this idea, so I'm going to take this just a little bit further, now that it's already out there. Let letters be given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. He's like, you know, this is, there's no internet, right? And there's no email. And so, you know, 
Nehemiah could say, great, see you later, and he could, you know, get a few hundred miles away from the capital, and one of the governors that acts on the king's behalf finds him and says, where are you going? I'm going to rebuild the walls. He goes, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not supposed to rebuild walls. So he's like, hey, I, I, I want to get there <laughs> without getting thrown in prison. So can you give me some letters that say, he's good. I'm the king. Nehemiah is good. Let him go. In a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. Do you get what he just asked him to do? To pay for part of it. (laughs) Now we're living large, baby. Now we're putting it out there. It's like, yeah, can you give me some letters to safe passage? And can you give me some lumber? Because we don't have any wood. Stones we got, they're still laying there. Lumber we don't have. Can I have some of your lumber? He just asked the king to pay to rebuild the walls of the city. That's crazy. And the king granted them to me. Because the good hand of my God was on me. The king said, yeah, sure, I'll do that, no problem. Here's your letter. Whoa, what? So now Nehemiah's going, well, I think there had to be a moment in here somewhere where Nehemiah went, yeah, great, wait. Like, oh, like now I got to go... I got to go rebuild the walls. I don't know anything about this. <laughs> I got him to pay for it. He's giving me letters to get through. This is great, but now I actually have to go do it. And nothing in his career has prepared him to go do this. So God put the burden on his heart. I want you to go rebuild the walls. He sees no way to make that happen because you know being, this is there was not you know at will employment in in this time, right? I mean, this, the, his job as the cupbearer, he couldn't just walk in one day and say, hey, you know what, King, I'm, I found a better deal down the road. I'm, I'm going to put in my two weeks' notice. <laughs> you didn't get the option of doing that. God said, you know what? My hand's going to be on you, and your faith in me is going to grow like you've never seen because I'm going to make this happen. Because this is my this is my deal, you just get to play along. But this is my deal, says God. And so here he is. He takes off, and he starts out on his journey. And he came to the governors of the provinces. And yes, he had to show them the letter. <laughs> they weren't they weren't real excited about just letting him go through on his mission to rebuild the walls. Uh, they weren't quite as enthusiastic as the king had been. So he has to show them the letter. In fact, some of them got pretty belligerent and we'll we'll look at this as we as we go through uh as we go through the story of nehemiah over the next few weeks he had to deal with some of them because some of them you know again they could be pretty independent actors right i mean they're there on on the on behalf of the king as governors of these provinces but since the king's a long way away as long as i'm sending him you know taxes (laughs) i'm pretty well do whatever i want and so some of them did and and this becomes an issue Later, it wasn't just like the red carpet got rolled out for him. I mean, the king's on his side, but there's still problems. There's still challenges. It was not easy. But he goes back, 
And he shows up at night. And he doesn't even tell like the other Jews what he's there to do. So he shows up. He takes a survey at night. Rides his donkey around the city at night. Literally. That's what it says. I'm not making the donkey part up. It's right there. Um, and so he sees how everything's in disarray. And he said he gets to the king's pool and there's so much rubble piled around that he can't even ride his donkey through it. Like the donkey can't even navigate. He's got to get off, go around. Complete disarray. So then he goes up to the officials and they did not know where I had gone or what I had done. Nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work what I was up to. Then I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. And then I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. I love that verse. Yeah, I'm a builder, so I like that. You know, they put their hands to the good work. But he goes and he tells them. So this ordinary guy, Nehemiah, who's following God, tells his story. Hey, this is what I'm following God, and this is kind of where it's gotten me to. And I'm back here, and I've got these letters. I've even got a blank check for lumber. And, 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 and we're supposed to rebuild the walls, guys. And they hear that story and there's, they've got to be encouraged, right? Because like, wait a minute. So God hasn't forgotten, like the king is going to pay for us to rebuild these walls. Well, well, all right. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. We're with you. And so they roll up their sleeves and they put their hands to the good work. And so we're going to, we're going to follow this story as it goes. Um, and I'm, and you can tell I'm kind of chopping this up as we read through it. I would really encourage you to, to, to read this over the next few weeks. Nehemiah, you go to Psalms and then turn left and you'll, you'll find it pretty quick. Um, it, it's a, it is an incredible story of God saying, I need you to step out. I mean, Nehemiah put his life on the line when the king said, what's wrong, man? Why are you so sad? He could have played it small, right? He could have said, oh, you know, hey, just some, you know, personal stuff. No big deal, king. He could have played it small, safe. But he didn't. He didn't. He risked it. Big time. Big time risked it. And, uh, spoiler alert, we get to the end of the story, like, walls do get rebuilt. So I'm tipping the hand too much here. But uh, the walls get rebuilt. And not only that, but the people start following the Lord. And so this physical disarray in the process of everybody coming together and rebuilding the wall, what happens is they start getting other things in their life together too. They start cleaning house internally at the same time that they're cleaning house externally. And they start, as, a, as a community, they start following the Lord together. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. Christy and I spent yesterday cleaning out our garage, which 
to those, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Matt's eyes went, whoa, he's seen our garage. Uh, and, and, you know, here's this disarray in our garage. I mean, you know, the rest of our house is decorated nice. It looks great, and you open the garage, and you go, whoa, you got some stuff. You got some stuff that needs cleaning up. And so we spent all day yesterday cleaning up our junk. You know, and I even turned down an opportunity to go fishing to do it. Which is not like me. But it felt pretty good to start getting our junk cleaned up. Felt pretty good. We've got this amazing opportunity as a community for the next couple of months while Scott's kind of on a forced sabbatical. You know, praise God that from the perspective of the doctors, this is no big deal, right? I mean, they're not concerned at all. So praise God. I mean, I, you know, obviously, anytime somebody slices you open, you're concerned. But the doctors, this is like, hey, this is a routine day, man. No big deal. You're going to be fine. But he's got to be out for a period of time so his body can heal. We have this amazing opportunity to come alongside. Scott's got the vision and the heart for our community. He's got this great vision of what we can become. Just like Nehemiah had this vision of rebuilding the walls and seeing the people follow the Lord again, Scott's got this great vision for what we can be doing in New Braunfels and around the world. I mean, Scott, you, if you've listened to Scott for any amount of time at all, you know his vision is, is it's global. It's big. It's bigger than what we're going to do. It's bigger than what we can pull off. We don't have enough of anything to pull off the vision that the Lord has put on Scott's heart for us as a community. We don't have it. You know what? I think the Lord's up there going, yeah, I know. I know. That's just the way I planned it. Because you're scared, aren't you? Time and again, with these stories of faith and scripture, all Jesus asks anybody to do is just, hey, bring what you have and show up. Just show up, bring what you've got, give it to me, and then I'll do the rest. Think about the loaves and fishes story. I mean, that's one of the easy ones, right? Hey, we don't have enough to feed these people. I know. I know that. Bring what you got. Bring it here. Praise over it. Wow. Everybody ate. Did it twice just in case you missed it the first time. He doesn't expect us to have everything we need to do what he's called us to do. Because if we did, it wouldn't require faith, right? Like what would the point be? Then it's just something we did. We made a good business plan. We raised funds. We went up. Da, da, da. We can just pat ourselves on the back instead of saying, yay, God. He knows we don't have it. He just asks us to bring what we've got, show up, and be faithful. And so we've got this, this opportunity to, over the next couple of months, to come to get ourselves in a position that when Scott comes back, wouldn't it be awesome? If when Scott's able to come back up here and assume his normal routine, that he had a community that was all in, baby. 
Like, poof, it's all out there in the middle of the table. We're here. We're risking with you. Scott and Susan, they've been risking a lot for a long time. A lot. They're in. They're committed. Whether we come with them or not, that's what they're doing. But we've got this opportunity to join in. And it's not like, God doesn't need us to do any of this, right? God's God. He doesn't need us to do anything. It's so that our faith gets to grow. It's for us. When we go all in, it's not because God couldn't make it happen without us. It's so that we get to participate. We get to play. Like there's no bench in this game, right? There's no bench. Like we all get to play. In fact, if you sit down in the middle of the game, and you might get hit in the head with the ball, right? There is no bench. So we're going we're gonna to study Nehemiah and see how it affected that community when they went all in to something really risky. I mean, it was risky politically. It was risky Physically, it was risky. You'll see that they had a lot of struggles and trials while they're trying to rebuild this wall. It was not easy. There's a famine. That doesn't sound fun. But they did it. And they were all in. And they risked a lot to do it. So my challenge to us as a community is let's risk with Scott and Susan. Let's go all in with them. Let's put it all on the table. You know, let's, let's be a part of it with them. Not because they need us. <laughs> it's God's vision. He's going to make it happen. We miss out if we don't. We stunt our own growth. So let's go all in. Let's go all in. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that you've in your, I don't know, in your, in your, I guess, wisdom, have invited us to play with you. That seems like a pretty risky way for you to build your kingdom through us. But that's what you chose to do. Man, do we thank you that we get to play. Help us to be faithful with what you've given us. And to be willing to step out on faith to take the next step when we don't know what that looks like. God, we thank you that you are trustworthy. Lord, we love you. We love this community. Thank you for showing up with us and loving us back. In Jesus' name, amen.